You are listening to episode 207 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. It's a true joy when I get to interview someone who I've also had the pleasure of working with. It's an even bigger joy when this person is actively shifting the world. Kelly Mirbot is a renowned successful leader, transformational business coach, leadership and team developer, and speaker and facilitator. She has been transforming America's top CEOs' personnel and professional lives and handcrafted profitable business strategies for thousands of corporations worldwide. Kelly and I discuss everything from how we can bounce back from perceived failures, why we are the masters of our own fate, creating an environment of belonging, and so much more. This episode is brought to you by Spiritually Seeking. When you go to spiritually-seeking.com and enter the promo code PODCAST at checkout, you can save 20% off your order of numerology reports, affirmation cards, card readings, and spiritual life guidance. Head over to spiritually-seeking.com and use the promo code PODCAST. Now, don't forget to show us that you're listening today by taking a screenshot, sharing it on your Instagram stories, tag me in it at mindbizlife, and I'll reshare it. I also love when you slide into my DMs and leave comments and tell me what resonated with you the most in each episode. It serves as great feedback, but also I really enjoy getting to know you better. And if you're not hanging out on Instagram, no worries. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook, both at MindBizLife. Are you ready to meet Kelly for a dose of life mastery? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Kelly, welcome to the show. I've been looking forward to our conversation, which I feel is long overdue. I know, Lauren. I mean, like, I, I just love what you're doing with your podcast and and the people that are coming on. I think it's so beneficial to humanity to hear all of these amazing leaders. And I'm I'm so grateful and, hum, uh, you know, humbled to be part of that group. Well, you and I first connected through a little meeting of the minds, I shall say, and from the get-go, I could see your passion for diversity and inclusion as well as belonging. So Kelly, before I hit you with all of my many questions, I'm really interested to know a little bit more about your journey and what ultimately led you to this profession and focus. Sure. So I would probably have to start back in childhood where the first four and a half years of my life were spent traveling on the PGA tour with my father, who was a professional golfer. And what that afforded me was the ability to listen and be around these incredible um, titans of industry, whether it was Ogden Phipps or Bill Flaherty, people who have really, really built organizations that impact our lives. Um, and, you know, when you're a child around adults, you do a lot of listening. And when you're able to, you ask a lot of questions. So, I point back to that point of being around adults enough to, to really, um, I mean, I hate to say this cause it sounds so, um, condescending, but it's really not is that children were seen and not heard at that point, you know, this was mm. the late seventies. And, and while that sounds horrible, you know, when you do a lot of listening and a lot of talking, people say things that they may not normally say. 
which is why, like, to me, that was a benefit, you know what I mean? Because I was around all these people. And when I was quiet, sometimes they would forget I was in the room and they would talk about things that I, you know, wouldn't a four and a half year old wouldn't normally be privy to, Mm -hmm. especially around that kind of leadership. So, um, and I also think that, you know, those first four and a half years living out of a suitcase and in and out of hotel rooms really um, taught me how to be resilient. And it actually taught me the skill of how to fall asleep literally anywhere. (laughs) Such an important skill though. Like seriously, I don't have that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I remember, so of course it was my mom and my dad and me in this hotel room. And I would frequently be in a rollaway bed or what, like whatever. And I can remember my mom saying to me, you know, I'm going to watch TV now, turn your head to the wall and go to sleep. And I just, I just did, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It just became something I was trained to do. Now I can't do it on planes as much anymore or in cars, but, um, it's, you know, I can pretty much fall asleep as long as I, uh, I, I get in that mindset. So yeah, Yeah. it it is a good skill. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks mom. Thanks for that. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, and then as my dad's career went on, I was able to be around different, um, trainers and sports psychologists. And, you know, honestly, after being at the feet of these Titans of industry, you know, just a handful that I've mentioned, um, as I got older, really what I wanted to do was be the CEO of a fortune 500 company, but, you know, I always go back to the Yiddish proverb, man plans and God laughs. And <laughs> heard God laugh at me so many times. Like you think you're in charge, that's not your path. And um, the way the higher power launched me into the path that I was supposed to be on and resisted my whole life was coaching, you know, and, and it handed me that in the form of a manila envelope with my name on it. It was January 20th, 2009, when um, Obama was being inaugurated. And I was laid off with 30,000 of my closest friends from my corporate job. And I, I remember during that grieving process, because um, my husband at the time was stationed in Guantan- Guantanamo Bay with the 9-11 detainees. And um, I thought to myself, okay, you've got to do something more life affirming with your life. What, what is it that lights you up inside? And it took really getting clear and really healing myself from the trauma of being let go, you know, after such a long time to get clear and, um, understand that I was being called to be a coach. And why was I being called to do that? Because I had hired a coach after I was let go and she changed my life. And, um, I wanted to give that gift to everybody that I, that I came in contact with. And that was 12 years ago as of last Wednesday. And I haven't looked back since. Well, happy anniversary to your business and stepping into your purpose and really going for it, because this is something that I think a lot of people get scared to do, especially when you get let go from a job, you really can just be thrown into that pit. Like it's survival mode for a lot of people. And I know a lot of people in 2020 are experiencing it themselves. And now even in 2021, still trying to, you know, gain their footing again. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and, um, I agree with you and here's what I would say. Leap in the net will appear. Mm. I mean, I know we've all heard that before and it's so true. I mean, let's go back. I didn't detail the grieving process. You know, I, I got handed that envelope. I got walked out of my company like a criminal. Um, and for seven days, I didn't get up off the couch. I cried. I grieved. I mean, like you want to talk about wailing, gnashing teeth. Like I did it all. And it was literally on the seventh day. And I don't mean to be biblical about this, but our golden retriever put her head on my lap and looked at me like, okay, enough is enough. Time to put your big girl pants on. Let's go. And that small interaction, whether it was me humanizing her, projecting my pain onto her, I have no idea. I, I don't know. I choose to say that she was communicating to me to get in the shower and, and take a shower. For sure. Time. Yeah. I'm going to go with that one too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, I remember being in the shower and just taking my time. It's shower is actually one of my favorite places to really think and meditate. And, um, I remember this thought coming, like you, like I said before, you need to do something more life affirming with your life. You're, you're meant for better things. You're meant for greater things. And I honestly didn't know what that was until I bought this 12, disc CD set called Mind Shift. And that was from um, Steve Chandler. Now you also have to remember this was 2009. So it was the worst recession that we had experienced up until 2020. Um, And, you know, after listening to that, that CD set, um, part of what you got was a gift with purchase, which was 90 minutes with this coach. And, you know, I got on the phone with her and she really held up a mirror. Um, You know, I was sitting there in my victimhood wallowing in it and she called it out in a not so gentle way, which is what I needed at the moment. And it really woke me up to the fact that I was in control of my life. I was, nobody else was despite what the external world tells you, you are in control. You're in control of everything from your thoughts to what your environment is to who's around you. It's all, you're all in control. But the great awareness that I had, Lauren, was if I was the problem in my life, I was the solution. Which it's like, oh my God, if I'm the problem, then I must be the solution too. So how can I solve that, you know, and literally through my training over, you know, I mean, I, I could probably tell you I've been coaching all my life, just didn't know what it was until I started the business in 2009. But really, I use any kind of emotions or wounds as an alarm clock to wake me up to where I need to work next on mm-hmm. myself, you know, and that's, that's really what I did. I was like, you know, I, I can do this. I've learned a lot about management and leadership and what to do and what not to do. And let me go get certified and see what I can do. So that's, that's literally what happened. I, you know, got a certificate in human and organizational transformation. And um, that was in 2010. And I picked up my first client shortly thereafter. And it's, 
been gangbusters ever since. And um, we've been one of the fortunate businesses that has thrived in during the pandemic, um, which there's a little bit of guilt around that saying that because I know there are so many people that are suffering, but what we've chosen to do is really create a space that, um, and we're gonna launch a space that's gonna help people take control of their lives and do what I did, which was go from victim to victor of my life. Oh, I love that. And it's so powerful. And I, I love that whole, the whole mirror analogy too, because when you're seeing yourself and you, it's, you find that you're the problem, right? Like I'm driving my problems, but I also can be the solution. Did you find that you really just had to pull back the, the layers almost like an onion and work on them one by one? Yeah. And, and there's this myth and I don't know if you've run into it, Lauren, but like, you think you're going to get to the bottom of the onion, right? You, yeah. No, it's never going to happen. This is, this is a, this is a lifelong journey and sometimes it's generational, you know? I mean, what I always joke about is like, every time I peel back the onion, I'm like, okay, put that issue to bed. Another one pops up, yeah. you know, it could even be something that I've buried. Like I remember doing a written meditation on something from when I was 14 years old that I hadn't thought about in 30 years popped up. And I was like, well, I guess that's where we go to work next, you know? Yeah. What does your work look like when something pops up for you and you can see, okay, maybe that's an unresolved trauma, or maybe I need to work through this. What are your personal steps for it? Or how do you coach someone to, to kind of work through this with ease? Yeah. So I always coach from where I come from. So what does that mean? That means that everything I ask my clients to do, I've done myself. So I'll share you, share with you my process. And, and it's, it's similar to what I walk my clients through, except that my clients really are the curriculum. So when they pivot, I pivot, you know what I mean? Mm. And the the whole reason I named my company, you loud and clear is because it's not about me. It's about people getting loud and clear about their purpose and how to create belonging within themselves and, and being loud and clear about that. You know what I mean? Um, so in terms of how I do my own work, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was really traumatized by the, the events at the Capitol and that trauma I know comes from me not reporting the three men that sexually assaulted me. And when I was 19, um, I, I know I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of energy in me about accountability and it comes from that. It stems from that. So I know that, right. Mm. Um, and what I usually do is I sit with it. I feel it. I allow myself to feel it for about 24 hours because here's what I know from my work and my work with executives and military members, et cetera. The number one thing people are most afraid of is feeling their feelings the number one thing. Wow. Um, and what we know about feelings or emotions is their energy in motion, right? So from start to finish, when that energy starts, it takes about 90 seconds unless we interrupt, suppress, or repress it, right? So, um, you know, with, with the capital, what I did was I sat there and, you know, I, I got angry. I got defensive. I felt it all. And then I started thinking, okay, how did we get here? How do we understand this? Like, what is the motivating factor behind this? Um, why did these people 
become the way they were? You know, what was it? And as I started looking at it, I realized that the same process was used for creating cults or creating, um, you know, religious jihads or, um, you know, that kind of thing. Well, why do people join those groups? Gangs, that's another one, gangs. Or if you look at people like, and I hate to say this, but Jeffrey Epstein, you know, there's a pattern in how they choose these people. And typically it's because they're feeling like they don't belong. Mm. And that's why when in my practice, I talk about belonging to yourself first. That's that when I say that it means being comfortable in your skin, knowing what your non-negotiables are, knowing where your boundaries are, knowing who belongs in your inner circle and is going to be there to pick up an oar and row with you, not poke holes in the side of your boat, you know, and, and challenges your mindsets, those kinds of things. So, um, you know, I really, I really looked at all of that and I thought to myself, oh my God, these are 74 million people that are, that were broken, that were not seen, that felt like they were not being listened to. And somebody all of a sudden said, I love you and you're special. Isn't that what we all want to hear? Right. So now, now somebody's saying, I see you. I love you. I appreciate you. You belong with me. That's a really powerful thing. And it's powerful because we are all biologically wired as humans to belong. That's why this pandemic is so challenging for us because I can't come to you in person right now, Lauren, and hug you the way I want to, or sit in the same room or have that energetic transfer that occurs between humans that are in a safe, consenting and trusting relationship, you know, that's been taken away. So Um, you know, going back to the process, it's really, I I try to look at it from, you know, first of all, getting my autonomic nervous system in order, which is where you feel the feelings, right? Then I intellectualize it and look at it from a behavioral and, and mindset and psychological standpoint. And then I either speak out or take action on how, how to fix it. So, you know, my action was immediately getting, Ernest Owens, who is um, a journalist on race, and um, and he, he reports on politics as well, on the show to explain from his perspective what this has been doing to our communities. I also put myself immediately in, um, Ari- I enrolled in Arizona uh, Trauma Institute's um, there was a class they did. I just took it. It's called stepping into a future free of historical trauma. And I was like, because this is, these are all trauma responses. These are all hurt people, hurting people. There are a bunch of wounded people bleeding all over everybody. So, okay, I can't control them, but I can control how I show up. And if I start teaching you how to belong or teaching you how mentoring you so that you're a successful coach so you can go from victor victim to victor of your life then i've done my job that's my job my job is not to judge others my job is to heal myself and then from that healing space to you know create belonging first within myself and then everywhere else i go 
Oh, I love that so much. And I think it's so important too that you take that 24 hours. I think that is a critical step before, before you've taken the action, taking the 24 hours to just let it sit with you because then you can even take this down to like a really basic example too. Like you've, if you've ever read an email, that's just like made your blood boil and you just like want to be a keyboard warrior at that moment and be like, well, actually, you know, and just like go back to them. Chances are you take 24 hours to let that email sit and then you reapproach it, you come back to them in a nicer way with a better tone. So it can be in those very simple things, as well as those large things of having that trauma and, um, and just really sitting with those as well. When we talk about um, belonging and we belong with, and we're good with ourselves too, how can we also ensure that we're doing our part to contribute to an environment of belonging? We model the behavior we expect, mm. you know, and, and if we belong to ourselves first and we are whole, um, so I'll go back to your, you, you know, your keyboard analogy, you know, knowing ourselves well enough that we need that 24 hours, you know, I mean, for me, it used to be seven days where I'd have to like sit with that. Right. But that was because I was constantly interrupting it. And mm. now with practice, it's, it's really, um, it's really come down to that 24 hours, but how do we create an environment of belonging? You know, really it, it's, it's getting clear with yourself, you know, being so steady with yourself. I mean, have you ever been around those leaders where you can just sit next to them and you know, they're confident, but they don't ever say or do anything to make you feel that you just just is, that's what it is. Um, you know, in my practice, I always talk about the ego shouting and the wisdom, wisdom whispering. So it's really being at peace, um, no matter what's going on around you and creating an environment, starting with yourself, that is an environment of inclusion and belonging. You know, I mean, if you're not inclusive and belong and belong within yourself, how can you possibly give that to anybody else? You can't teach what you don't have. So, you know, that that's where it starts. It starts with you. And then from there, it's, you know, finding that energetic match. You know, um, when I'm working with organizations, I always say hire for character, not for skill, because skill can be taught. Yeah. You know, um, and of course you want people to have a certain skill level, but really look for character, look for energetic match for your organization and to make sure that everybody's in alignment with the mission, vision, values of what you're trying to do and make sure that that behavior is, is, is modeled by everybody in the team. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then it's not the right fit and that's okay. And recognizing that's okay and knowing it's okay to just walk away or let something go when it's not in alignment with you. Like give yourself permission for that. Yes. And if, if you need a permission slip, I'm giving it to you. (laughs) Go ahead. She'll sign them all day. (laughs) That's right. There's, there's, you know, I mean, I think people get, um, frightened and you know, right now it's, it's not unusual to be frightened, to be gun shy, to be a little, skeptical and touchy because for, for like, let's be honest, it's been chaotic and unbalanced since 
almost for almost a year, at least in the States, you know, so take your time with it, really take your time with it. Um, and I would say every organization needs to revisit their mission, vision, values at least once a year because people change, organizations change, and as you evolve, your mission, vision, values should evolve with it. Right. I like, I like that. And just being able to take a step back and speaking of, of leaders, you grew up around leaders. Um, and I can really see a shift in the world when it comes to leaders where more purpose-driven leaders are rising. Do you think that leaders are born or made? Um, I think it's a combination of both. Um, you know, I think there are certain leaders that are very charismatic and that, that charisma is often mistaken for leadership. Um, so I think charisma is something that you're, you're born with in terms of leading. I mean, if we look at psychology, babies are born with two things when they come into, into the world and their fears, they're born with the fear of um, falling in the fear of loud noises, everything else in their lives is learned everything. So, you know, where did I learn to be a leader? Well, by the time you're six, your personality is set. And if the first four and a half years of my life were spent talking to these industry leaders, you know, I was, I was made to do that. I was taught to do that. So I think everybody has the ability to be a leader. You just have to find that connection point for you. For me, it was belonging because there have been so many times in my life when I felt like I was excluded or felt like I was left out and it's the worst feeling in the world. And I never wanted anybody else to feel that pain. Or if they did, I wanted to help them figure out how to heal themselves from it, which is where the belonging came from. I mean, even after I stopped traveling with my dad on the PGA tour, my parents, um, you know, going to kindergarten, at five after spending my first four years of life with adults was a real challenge. Right. Along with other five-year-olds, I didn't know how to communicate with them. That was the first incident of not belonging, you know? Um, and it, it, it's such a lonely feeling and it's, it's very, um, isolating you know um so to go back to your your initial question are leaders born or made i think it's i think it's a combination of both you know i think some of the great leaders um are born with that certain it factor you know what i mean yeah i think tactically anybody can be a leader but um i think the new sets of skills that we need moving forward are compa- um compassion empathy, um, belonging and love. And I don't mean love in the romantic sense. I mean, love that's, you know, that kindness and, um, equity and belonging and inclusivity come from. Mm. I like that so much. And I know there's probably people listening right now and, they, they're agreeing, they're shaking their heads with everything you said, like, yep, yep, I feel you on every level. And they are a coach themselves. And maybe they're feeling stagnant, or they just aren't growing in the way that they are. You had mentioned that you got a coach. Where else is there value in, a, in being a coach and also having a coach yourself? Well, 
you know, I always say, like I said to you before, I, I don't ask my, my clients to do anything I haven't done before. And like coaching is so experiential. It is so experiential. And if you haven't experienced it, how can you speak to it? You know, and it's kind of, to me, in my mind, and this may not be everybody's thought process, but it's what works for me. Um, how could you possibly be a coach without having a coach? How can you sit there and talk to somebody and say, coaching changed my life and I love it and blah, blah, blah. Well, who's your coach, Kelly? Oh, well, I don't have one. So right. you don't believe in your industry enough to hire somebody from it? I mean, I've had coaches from as long as I can remember. And I've, whether they were great or horrible, I always learned something. There's always learning. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, if you're feeling stuck, hire yourself a coach or get into a coaching group, you know, especially as individual coaches, it can be lonely. So if you can have a place where you can create a community and you're leaning on each other, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, we all want that as coaches. Yeah, I, I totally agree in that you're right. And then it comes back to belonging, right? It all comes back to belonging. Yeah. Oh, I can see the full circle in this, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, and, and if you think about it, belonging is everything, Lauren. I mean, yeah. when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, I mean, I read this article um, in Philadelphia Magazine a couple of years ago. And where I live is very... Um, it's wealthy and it's, you know, we live on the outskirts. So we are, we are working class, but you know, it's, it's a wealthy place where a lot of white people live, but there was this young boy, he was eight years old. He was riding his bike through his neighborhood, a black boy, just for sake of this conversation. And his parents owned a house in the neighborhood. And this woman and her white Range Rover followed him for about 10 minutes finally pulled over, making him very nervous and said, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Ugh. Think about that. What are you doing here? You don't belong here. And he pointed down the street. He said, I live at that house. I do belong here. And then I, that really triggered me because I was like, he does belong and you're making him feel like he doesn't at eight years old. Mm. You know, that's, that's literally what diversity, equity, and inclusion is about. It's about making sure that not only everybody has a seat at the table, but they have a voice and it's heard, you know? I mean, and, and I, I was saying this to our mutual colleague, Cheryl Turner-Miles, that I feel really sorry for people who don't understand diversity, equity, and inclusion because it is such a competitive advantage. It is such a an asset to any organization, because think about it. You've got people who are coming from different backgrounds telling you their, their lenses that they look through life, adding to your emotional, physical, I mean, it's a benefit all around. It's like, um, you know, not adding tomatoes to a salad and, and not understanding that that adds, that kicks up the notch of the flavor. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, you yeah. like without DEI, without belonging, we are missing out. We are missing out. 
you had touched on something earlier about the judgment and how you've been able to just kind of release a lot of judgment when it comes to this. Uh, that kind of spoke to me. And I, I grew up in like a the small cow town, you know, definitely more cows than people. It felt like most days and majority white. And for me, a big part of my inclusion, my mom taught special education and I just always had this like fierce protection in me for anyone who is special needs. Um, and the other day, and I've carried judgment for a long time on people who maybe had treated them differently. And the other day I was in the Dollar Tree and I was getting some things for my youngest daughter's birthday and you know, some like decoration stuff. And I had passed a woman who very clearly had Down syndrome and she was shopping and um, I went to go pay and I heard behind me that the, the cashier was just being, her tone was just rude. You know, you just like pick it up in that instance. And I glanced. Was it the energy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like I could just like hear. And so like I glanced over my shoulder and I'm already like swiping my cart, you know, like in the process of being finished. And I noticed that it was the woman with special needs. And so I just kept my ear kind of perked open and I, you could very easily tell from the conversation, the way it was going down. She said, you only had 18 cents left on her card. And I was like, oh, it must be food stamps. Right. Cause everything she had was food. And very clearly the woman didn't understand what she was saying. And she was like, so what do I need to do? And the cashier was like, you need more money. And I was like, oh, you know, like I just like paused for a second. I'm like, oh, I could like feel myself like bubbling. Right. So then like she was like, but like how much do I need to put back? And the woman was like, all of it. Like you, you don't have anything. And like her tone, just like you could just tell she was frustrated. She was annoyed. She like didn't want to be there. So I just you know, very quietly walked over. I asked the woman, I was like, Hey, can I pay for it? She accepted. I swiped my card. I told her to have a good day. And I walked out. And as I was walking out, I had to check myself. Mm -hmm. I could feel myself judging the cashier. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I'm going to give her a little bit more grace in this situation. Could she have done better? 100%, 100%. And I, but does, does that give her a right to talk to her that way? Hell no. Right. So I had to give her that grace of, okay, maybe she had a bad day. Maybe this has happened 20 times that day. And she's just annoyed. Maybe she just doesn't have a compassion bone. Right. So like I found myself having to drop the judgment on the other person too, and just really lean into my own self and be like, I was there in that moment. I stepped up. Great. And, and just kind of move on with my day. Whereas before I, I almost feel like I would have like harbored that resentment for the cashier and for everyone in line who didn't step up themselves, not knowing if they had the money to help this woman, not knowing if they had a voice or were, were you know, confident in themselves to say something. So I've just realized like the judgment goes in so many different ways as well. It's it, that in itself is multi-layered. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's interesting you say this because I had a similar situation, not with um, a woman with special needs, but with um there was a black woman at home goods and there was a white woman that was harassing her behind um behind her in line i didn't know exactly what was going on because i had a lot of stuff that i was checking out but i all of a sudden heard voices raised and i was like okay 
you know, we talk about this all the time that if you see somebody um, in a minority culture that's being harassed, you, you know, pay attention. So I'm sitting there and I'm kind of wavering on whether or not I jump in and, and help or do I stand back and, and let it, you know, kind of resolve itself, which it is what it did because with, with that, and I'll, I'll tell you where my mind was going with that situation, Lauren, is like, there's that, that phenomenon of white saviorism, like jumping in and saving the black community. You know what I mean? So mm. here I am going, oh my God, does she need my help? Do I need to see something, say something, or, you know, am I jumping in and saving her? I mean, it's this whole dialogue that I'm having with myself and it ended up resolving itself, but I was still aware of what was going on. And I think, I, I, I think for you and for me, it's not only the, uh, um, the judgment, but it's the awareness. Cause once you see it, you can't unsee it, you know, right. I mean? like, um, so you, to your point, um, I, I think you handled it beautifully. And, and you talk about creating, um, um, an atmosphere of inclusion and belonging. You did that. You did that by stepping over, asking permission and then paying for her. You know what I mean? That that's an act of kindness. That's a radical act of love. You know what I mean? And it's even more loving because you didn't scold the cashier. You know, we don't know what was going on with her. We may never know. Right. Um, you you don't know if she had maybe she had a sister that was that was um had was an adult with special needs and they died this tragic death, you know, and seeing this person triggers them. You know what I mean? We don't know. You have no way of knowing. So what can you do? What was in your control? Your What was in your control was how you showed up and you showed up and you showed up in a loving way. I mean, I, I, I don't think I would have done anything different. Yeah. You know, I do get what you mean because I felt that judgment against the woman, the white woman who was harassing this black woman. I was like, Jesus Christ here I am doing all this work, hard work as a white woman and people like you out there are ruining it. Stop. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's it. And then you're like, it's so hard to then just like lift them up and love. And Dr. Dawson church, um, neuroscientist who he has an amazing book. I think you'd love, um, I'll refer it to you later, but, um, he, um, he, he was saying that, you know, even with your biggest enemy to, put them in your meditation and to really just like wrap them in love. Like you, it may take you a year. It may take you five years to get to that point, but like you, it's, it's always within you more than the other person and your ability to love them and just see past all of the ugly that they're portraying and just know that 99% of the time, there's a really good soul in there that's hurting has trauma, needs a friend, needs to belong, is aching to belong. Yeah. I mean, and, and I always think about, um, Don Miguel Ruiz book, the four agreements where he talks about not taking anything personally that anybody, anything that anybody does or says is not because of you. It's their own inner world, you know? I mean, and, let's not to make this political, but if, if you've seen some of the people that were diehard supporters of our, our, our former president, they're all in tears and they're like, where are you? You've left us. What, what are we going to do? Oh my God, God come save us. And this is what I've been worrying about. You know what I mean? When, when we realized that this rhetoric was all lies, which I knew from the beginning, cause I 
met him and I've had some interactions with him in 2004. So I kind of know what kind of person he is. Plus my family's originally from New York. So we, we've had kind of history of him. Um, but to, to say that you were going to lead this group and then all of a sudden desert them, imagine that kind of betrayal after you put your faith in that human, you know what I mean? It's just, it's heartbreaking. And like, that's when we really need to set aside the judgment and, you know, invite them back into a relationship and understand you said something about, you know, loving somebody, right. And, and your pastor and wrapping them in light. And I agree with that. But I think there's a distinction we can, we need to make. You can love somebody without having to like them. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, like I love my father, I love him, but I don't like some of his racist rhetoric. Mm. I can still love him, but I don't like that behavior and I won't let it slide. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it, you, it's not one or the other. It's not mutually exclusive. And I think part of the problem, and I'm going to get a little heady here, is the, the system that you and I were born into as white people, the system of white supremacy has conditioned us in an either or kind of way, meaning it's either black or white and there's no room for spectrum. Well, we know that let's see, let's use autism or even special needs. There's a spectrum there. Right. So why is it a spectrum for that? But this has to be either or, you know, you either love somebody or hate somebody. Well, no, that's not, that's not true. You can love somebody, but not like their behavior and not like how they show up. Right. They'll love them. Yeah. Yeah. And on the same thing is you, you can absolutely set your boundaries. Like you just said, knowing yourself so well that you can love that person. But when they say something that you don't agree with and you know, at your core is just wrong, you can then use your voice and in a loving way to be like, Hey, no, this isn't going to fly here, you know, and, and stand up for what you believe in. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. There are people dying in the streets to belong. They are literally losing their lives in order to belong. You know, we can sit with our feelings of discomfort for a little bit in order to make this world a better place. You know, think about that. You can survive your your challenging feelings. Meanwhile, people are sacrificing their lives. It's like, can you feel shitty for five minutes? Yeah, I can survive that versus somebody losing their life. You know what I mean? It's like, think about that, you know, and the more we heal ourselves, the more we heal our own wounds, the less we're bleeding all over everybody else. That's what I saw with this, this, um, the insurrection was a bunch of broken people misled looking to belong because they felt like they weren't heard. Now, am I justifying their actions? No. Do I justify, am I condoning or explaining their behavior? No, but it makes sense to me when you've got a, a, a population of people who feel like they haven't been seen and heard and then all of a sudden they are. And now all of a sudden we align around a mission and all of a sudden we feel like we belong. You know what I mean? It's re- that's a, a really primal thing that you're tapping into. Right. 
Yeah, that's huge. It's really huge. And if we even, you were talking about, you know, people in the street who want to belong, I was watching, and this like just goes back to how strong the human connection in general is. And just that need for connection. I was watching the show, um, the last Alaskans. And, you know, these are these people who live remotely by choice. And every single one of them say, I couldn't have done it without my partner, without my kids, without my, right. Like there's always someone, like if I was here alone, I couldn't have done it. And that makes you just look at it on a grand scale too, because these people choose to live off grid. Like they choose to live a very secluded life, but even in seclusion, they need connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what I was thinking, Lauren, as I was talking about, you know, the group of insurrectionists, if we can mobilize them that way for violence, we can mobilize them in the other direction with love. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's really in my own meditations, what's come out for me recently is that, um, and this is a very loose title. It's not what I'm married to right now, but is that my job is to create an army of love to combat that with something loving with belonging. Um, and that's, that's going to take a lot of people. Um, and, you know, we've got some things in place that are going to start really leveling that up and, you know, um, giving exposure to maybe people who didn't have a bigger voice in the coaching community and, um, really combat this because we need it. We need it. We're fractured. We're fractured humans, you know, right now. That's, that's what this is. That's why that happened is because we were hurting so bad. And we felt like when we weren't being seen that once somebody saw us, it's like, oh my God, you see me, you don't want me to change. You think I have value. Okay. Tell me what to do next. Yeah. It's so true. It's it's so true. Just that whole message of just being seen it being, being seen is so huge because you can be sitting in a room with someone and never feel seen by them. Yep. Oh, it's so big. Well, how about this one? Have you ever been in a room of crowded people and been the loneliest person in the room? Oh yeah. Well, and sometimes like I've been in a room of people and you just feel right. Like you're sitting in that room of people and you're like, I don't even want to be around you. Like you can just, it's that energy, right? Like you pick up on that energy and it's just like, no, I'm not supposed to be here. So then you can almost make yourself invisible too. Like it's, you can be a chameleon and either way, like really make yourself invisible. And there's been times where I've, I've done it both where I have been the loneliest person and I've wanted to be seen. And then those other times where I have chosen to, to not want to be seen because it didn't align with me. 100%. I've been there too, you know, and for what you do, which is you do so beautifully and what I do, it's important for us to have that experiential energetic imprint on our hearts and souls for when we do our work. You know what I mean? Like I always go back to that five-year-old little girl in kindergarten feeling like she didn't belong or that little boy riding his bike through his neighborhood make, make, being made to feel like he didn't belong. Mm. you know, or some close friends of mine who have to have those hard conversations with their black sons because, you know, they're going out in the world and there are people out there that have been trained to make them feel like they don't belong, you know, well, what can I do, right? If I'm the problem, I'm the solution. Well, my solution is one, 
creating an army or military of love to combat this, um, which will be filled with different kinds of healers and coaches and whoever wants to join the cause. And then the second piece is, is mentoring great coaches out there to make sure that their work is being spotlighted and showcased and that they're not just surviving in their, in their profession, they're thriving. Mm, I love it. And I love this mission you're on. And Kelly, I know you have so much more to offer and share with our audience who probably wants to join your army of love. So where can they go to connect with you further? Sure. Um, so they can either, they can go to one of two websites. So it's Kelly Mirabot, K-E-L-L-Y-M-E-E-R-B-O-T-T.com or youloudandclear.com. And that's all spelled out. So it's Y-O-U-L-O-U-D-A-N-D-C-L-E-A-R.com. And then I am literally all over social media. So um, the only... <laughs> Unless you tell me to, Lauren, the only <laughs> channel I am not on is TikTok. No, nah, don't do it. We don't need TikTok. <laughs> I definitely, and, and Lauren, for, for all of you that don't know, is an incredible social media. I mean, she's just incredible at everything she does, but she has agreed to help us with social media. And um, yeah, I, when, when she did our audit, I was like, please don't say I have to be on TikTok. Please don't say <laughs> I don't even want to be on TikTok, Kelly. So I don't even get it. And my husband's like, don't worry about it. It's not something for you. So no. <laughs> um, but you can find me anywhere. You can find me on LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. Um, and we have a business page on Facebook. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to link all of those in this week's episode notes. So our audience can go click and find you directly. Kelly, you are doing such important work in the world. You are a purpose-driven leader and a true world shifter. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for having me. And you know, to, to your audience, love yourselves enough so that you can spread that love to others. Kelly is a powerhouse and a true world shifter. I've linked Kelly's website and social media channels on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend and be sure to give the podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in and turn it up. I'm back on Friday for another episode of Fuel Your Life Friday, but until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.